Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 567 for the 5th of November, 2017. This week, users of Snagit should be sure to check out the latest version. And anyone who needs to capture screenshots for documentation, illustration, or education but isn't using Snagit should also take a look. All the experts say passwords are dead, but it seems that whatever will replace them hasn't yet been invented. In short circuits, Google has updated Chrome to fix a security problem. If you use Chrome, it probably has already been updated, but verification is easy and worthwhile. The U.S. Department of Justice has indicted six members of an identity theft ring. In spare parts, only on the website, honors for the fathers of the spreadsheet notes the 1979 development of VisiCalc. And according to recent research, a surprising number of people ignore recall notices. Are you one of them? Before we get started, let me include a programming and scheduling note here. This program was prepared and recorded far earlier in the week than usual. That's because I had an appointment with an eye surgeon on Tuesday to repair a detached retina in one eye. The surgery should sideline me for most of the week, so I prepared the program early. If anything big happened in technology this week, you won't find it here. Everything should be approaching what I refer to as normal in time for next week's program. So let's get on with it. Snagit is the screen capture application from TechSmith. It's been around for 30 years, and with the exception of a few stumbles in recent versions, it has always been the best way to capture a picture of what's on the screen. For that reason, it's popular with educators, documentation specialists, and software developers. The latest version adds several features that allow users to modify captured images in surprising ways. So, let's say I'm thinking about changing the look of the TechBiter website but I want to see what it might look like before I spend a lot of time writing code to accomplish the changes. Maybe it'd be better to place the Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn images that are now on the left side of the screen over on the right side. In the past, cutting the icons from one location and pasting them into another would leave blank spaces where they were. By the way, this is very much a show-and-tell episode, so be sure to check out the TechBiter Worldwide website to see the examples that I'm talking about here. It's now possible to select individual images and to tell Snagit to fill in the blank space the way Adobe's content-aware fill does. Now, Adobe is considerably ahead of TechSmith when it comes to content-aware fill, but Snagit isn't primarily an image editor. Selecting the beta option for best quality may be sufficient. If not, you'll need to copy and paste parts of the background to fill in a few holes manually, but overall it does a darn good job. So, I moved the icons, and be sure to note that I changed their order by moving each icon individually. The autofill option worked really well for this. Now, let's say I want to also move the title text from its location on the left to a new location on the right. 
In this case, autofill wasn't quite up to the task, so I copied and pasted parts of the textured background to cover the location where the text had been. If you look closely at the image on the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see where I pasted sections of the background in. Now, admittedly, this isn't perfect, but it certainly is good enough if you're just storyboarding some changes. So now I have moved the social media icons and the page title over to the right side of the page. Well, then maybe I think about moving the listening guy, the little image of the guy with his hand up to his ear, up to the top of the page. think that might be a good idea. This turned out to be another case where autofill was far short of what was needed to blank the area where the graphic was, but copying and pasting some areas of the background was once again sufficient. But what if I want to do something like change the headline text? This is where Snagit performs some real magic. Bear in mind that a screen capture is just pixels. There's no concept of text in a captured image, but I can select the text, right-click, and choose Edit Text. Snagit removes the pixels that represent the text and creates a text box. The text on the site is in a special typeface that loads when the page loads, so it wasn't available to Snagit. For that reason, I needed to select a different typeface. Once I did that, I was able to modify the text, and even though it's not shown in my preferred typeface, once again it's sufficient to illustrate what the change would look like. Now, relax. I'm not planning to implement any of these changes in 2018 because they just don't make sense. But being able to test changes like these with just a few minutes of image manipulation in Snagit saves several hours of coding time that would be needed to create the changes using CSS3 and HTML5. Related to the ability to edit text is the ability to extract text, or as TechSmith puts it, grab text. So Snagit now includes an OCR process that seems to work really well. This of course depends on the size of the type, larger is better, and the typeface used. Normal faces work a lot better. This could be a huge time saver if you need to obtain all of the text from a document that can be displayed on the screen, but for which the text isn't otherwise available. The OCR will make an occasional error, but in some quick tests using an image of a page from the TechBiter Worldwide website, the error rate seems to be well under one-tenth of one percent, so perhaps one error every 1,000 characters. Assuming the average word length is five characters, that would be about one error every 200 words. Now, in fact, several of my tests contained well over 1,000 characters, and Snagit's OCR made no errors at all. I mentioned earlier that some of the recent Snagit updates had stumbled a bit. Well, previously, attempting to capture a high-resolution screen or the contents of two screens could cause Snagit to freeze for up to half a minute. That problem has been resolved with the latest version. Additionally, as I mentioned in last week's spare parts section, Snagit's video capture has been improved to capture desktop video at a higher frame rate. The result will be smoother and more professional looking videos, but using a higher frame rate will result in larger files. In most cases, the larger files won't be a hindrance. So the bottom line for Snagit, five cats, once again, it proves to be the leader in screen capture software. Anybody who needs to capture images from a computer screen should at least take a look at Snagit from TechSmith. Incremental improvements ensure that the application keeps up with technology, and the new features introduced in the 2018 version 
can save users a significant amount of time and effort. You'll find additional details on the TechSmith website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. People keep telling me that passwords are dead, but what's next? Nobody likes passwords. Far too many people still share the same username and password between accounts. And crooks know that if they get your Facebook credentials, they might also have your bank credentials. Too many passwords are weak. Password or let me in or 123456. Those are among the first dozen or so that a crook will try. And good passwords are just too hard to remember. Try this password on for size. Lowercase r, 6, pound sign, uppercase o, dollar sign, uppercase k, x, r, c, b, l, uppercase o, at sign, 5, e, uppercase l, o, at sign, uppercase b, x. Could you remember that? Eh, neither could I. Uh, and neither can just about anybody else. And another problem with passwords is too many people can be tricked into giving their passwords away. Password managers help, but let's face it, the days of the lowly password are numbered. Many new Windows computers have built-in fingerprint readers, or they can be retrofitted with an external reader. The Windows Hello function that works with cameras in some laptop and tablet computers uses facial recognition. A lot of companies, both established businesses and startups, are throwing a lot of money at projects intended to identify and develop the technology that will replace the password. Current iterations of fingerprint readers and facial recognition software are generally considered to be weaker than a well-crafted and carefully maintained password, though. Two-factor authentication improves security but slows the process of logging in, and if you lose the smartphone that's used for two-factor authentication, restoring access to the account might take a long time. Internet of Things devices make the situation even more complex because many of them are shipped with default credentials that are either difficult to change or, unfortunately, sometimes impossible to change. So something will replace passwords, and we all hope that whatever that something is will be easier to use and more secure. But most people don't like change, and some will still find ways to defeat the security mechanisms, whatever they are. While we're waiting for what's next, we should at least do everything we can to protect our current important credentials. Most of us actually have several classes of credentials. Let's consider me, for example. The username and password I use for sites such as the New York Times and Washington Post are relatively short, but still meet the criteria for strength, minimum eight characters, upper and lower case letters, a number, and a special character. Credentials for Facebook are a bit stronger because a crook who manages to log on as me could do some real harm. And then there are online merchants such as Amazon, where a long username and an even longer password are reasonable precautions. And last, banks. Very long usernames and very long passwords. LastPass, of course, manages all these for me. Oh, and there is one more additional item. I have an email account that has a very long, complex, and unreadable address, in addition to its long, complex, and unreadable password. 
I never send messages from this account. It is used only to receive messages from organizations such as banks. Given a choice between safe and sorry, safe is almost always preferable. In short circuits, if you use Chrome, now would probably be a good time to check to make sure it's been updated. Chrome does automatically update, so you probably do have the latest version. But a high-severity buffer overflow vulnerability was discovered near the end of October, so checking would be a really good idea, and it's easy to do. Just type Chrome colon forward slash forward slash version, V-E-R-S-I-O-N forward slash, in the address bar and press enter. If you see version 62.0.3202.75 or later, you're safe. If you see an earlier version, then you should download and install the update before you do anything else. The bug is related to an open-source JavaScript engine that dates back to Windows 7, to macOS 10.5, and to Linux systems that use 32-bit Intel architecture. Google hasn't released any details about the bug, but it did indicate that it's serious. Additional details will be released after a majority of users have been updated. So, reading between the lines, this is probably the kind of exploit that would allow crooks to run their code on your computer. The bug was identified by researcher Yu Zhao of Ant Financial Lightyear Security Lab at the end of September. Published reports say he received a $3,000 bounty from Google's Bug Bounty Program. So good for him. federal grand jury has indicted six people on charges of identity theft and credit card and debit card fraud. Those indicted are from Virginia and Maryland. The indictments charge them with conspiring to commit bank and wire fraud, conspiring to traffic in contraband cigarettes, and aggravated identity theft. The bank and wire fraud charges carry a potential maximum sentence of 30 years in prison. Aggravated identity theft convictions come with a two-year prison term. According to the indictment, the identity theft ring purchased thousands of stolen credit card and debit card numbers, then encoded that information onto forged credit cards. The phony cards were used to purchase items that were then sold on the black market. For example, cartons of cigarettes. They resold over 10,000 of those cigarettes to black market resellers for $47 a carton, according to the Department of Justice. And the Department of Justice says laptops recovered from the conspirators included files of thousands of credit card numbers, including 2,000 recovered from one computer and 10,000 on another. There's additional information on the Department of Justice website. I have a link to that from the TechBiter Worldwide website.
Now, it's worth noting here that the six people indicted all appear to be low-level dopes who didn't actually steal anyone's identity, but instead bought credentials that other crooks had stolen and got caught trying to use them. The pattern is familiar. Law enforcement often seems to concentrate on the small fish who are easy to catch, but allows the organizers and bosses to get away. And you could get away to spare parts, but you'll find it only on the website. This week, honors for the fathers of the spreadsheet. Note the 1979 development of VisiCalc. And according to recent research, a surprising number of people ignore recall notices. Are you one of them? Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.